Welcome to The Classical Corner, a new podcast brought to you by myself, Davina Clark, where I will delve into the secrets behind classical music and take you on a journey through some of the most inspired and beautiful works ever written. Throughout this series, I shall be joined by a selection of remarkable and talented musicians. Not only will we discuss our love for music, but I shall also discover the thoughts and processes behind my illustrious guests and what makes them the top of their game in the classical music field. So, come and join me in the Classical Corner. Hello everyone, and thank you so much for joining me once again. So far on my individual episodes, we have had a whistle-stop tour of the Baroque period, and also a delve into the romantics of 19th century music. However, this time, I thought it might be rather fun to pick a theme. Now, I don't know about you, but all of this lockdown has rather ignited in me a love for being outside. Maybe it's the irresistible urge to feel the fresh air on our faces as we're cooped up all day. Or perhaps it's because in normal circumstances, I spend my life rushing around London and on my feet, running between rehearsals and performances. Whatever the reason may be, I'm adoring my little Brompton bike and being able to cycle at my own leisure. The reduction of traffic, aeroplanes passing over, and indeed general noise, has opened my ears in a whole new way to the birdsong that we are surrounded by in the beautiful city, which often goes unnoticed. Whether that be a little robin redbreast chirping in a garden, blackbirds exchanging songs in Hyde Park, or cooing pigeons in Trafalgar Square, it has reminded me of the link between music and wildlife, and specifically birdsong. The influence on birdsong on human music making is well rooted in our history. Among one of the earliest surviving pieces of music from Britain is the 13th century melody Summer is in Comen In, which translate to Summer has arrived or Summer has come in. The melody is a type of round or rotor and has its roots in the oral transmission of the folk tradition, where music would be passed on simply by ear. The manuscript in which it is preserved was copied between 1261 and 1264 and has subsequently made its way into a number of works since then, including the finale of Benjamin Britten's Spring Symphony. However, we won't be travelling back as far as the 1200s or ahead as far forward as the 1950s just yet. In the meantime, I'd like to have a look at how this transmission of birdsong and subsequently the influence of nature has made its way into Western music in the Baroque, Classical and Romantic periods. Birds have played a role in Western classical music since at least the 14th century, when composers such as Jean Vallion quoted birdsong in some of their compositions. Birds are incredibly musical animals in the way that they are able to borrow phrases or sounds from other species, use a variety of rhythm in their calls, and have a relationship between musical pitches all of which can result in a combination of notes resembling music. In terms of musical composition, many composers used to travel to their country homes to escape the city and to write. It is no coincidence, therefore, that inspiration from nature has made its way into so many of these works. Gustav Mahler used to compose in his hut at Lake Attersee in Upper Austria. He retreated there for three years between 1893 
1896 to compose music. Mendelssohn took Goethe's suggestion and went on a gap year jaunt to Scotland and into the wild Celtic culture beyond the Roman Wall. There are accounts describing how he trekked across the highlands, sketched mountains, bathed in waterfalls, and subsequently wrote Fingal's Cave. The 22-year-old romantic Liszt travelled south to Switzerland and Italy with his girlfriend and recorded his travels in the movements of his three piano suites, which act like snapshots of nature. Like artists, composers needed nature and wildlife as inspiration. It is no surprise that the most commonly included birds in both music and poetry writing are some of the oldest species too. The name nightingale has been used for more than a thousand years. In Old English, the word translates as night songstress. The nightingale song is loud with an impressive range of trills and whistles. The reason the bird is associated with night is because its song is most noticeable then as few other birds are singing. It is thought that the single male sings a nocturnal song to attract a mate, whereas dawn singing is to defend the bird's territory. The nightingale is evoked by Homer in his Odyssey, and Virgil also describes Orpheus's mourning as the lament of the nightingale. The bird has also been the spotlight of many romantic poets, such as Keats in Ode to a Nightingale, Coleridge and Wordsworth. But here it's used as a symbol relating to creativity, muses, virtue and goodness. Shelley uses the bird to describe an idealised writer in his work. He says, A poet is a nightingale who sits in darkness and sings to cheer its own solitude with sweet words. His auditors are as men entranced by the melody of an unseen musician who feel that they are moved and softened yet know not whence or why. This is from a defence of poetry. This actually relates rather beautifully to the use of affect and rhetoric used in Baroque music and Roman oratory, which is perhaps what Shelley is nodding to. In music, unlike in poetry, the inclusion of the nightingale doesn't have such a symbolic status, but instead it is the actual song which was of interest to the composers. Handel imitates the Song of the Nightingale beautifully in his oratorio, Solomon. You might have heard of this work because it famously includes the arrival of the Queen of Sheba. However, the nightingale is spotted in his chorus, let no rash intruder disturb their soft hours. It comes at the end of Act One, when Solomon and his new wife retire for the night, being lulled to sleep by the Song of the Nightingale. You can hear this recording in the Spotify playlist for this episode of The Classical Corner. Handel also uses the nightingale in his organ concerto number 13, but this time pairs it with another bird, the cuckoo. We all know the distinctive call of the cuckoo, but it is actually the male which has this familiar song, whereas the female has a rich bubbling chuckle. Written in 1730, Handel beautifully encapsulates the song of the cuckoo and the nightingale in this concerto. The second movement of this is a lively allegro with a dancing character. The solo organ and the orchestra engage in some rather cheerful back and forth imitation. The cuckoo calls can be heard in the organ as a series of descending thirds. After this, 
the orchestra responds with the opening material and is then answered by another solo passage displaying the warbling nightingale. This is demonstrated beautifully by Ton Koopman's brilliant recording with the Amsterdam Baroque Orchestra, which can be found in the Spotify playlist for this episode of the Classical Corner. Another work by Handel incorporating birdsong is from his L'Allegro, Il Penseroso ed Il Moderato. It is called Sweet Bird. It has the most glorious interaction and imitation between the soprano and the flute, or recorder, who is the true musical encapsulation of a sweet bird. The text sung by the soprano reads, Sweet bird that shunts the noise of folly, most musical, most melancholy, thee, chauntress oft the woods among, I woo to hear thy even song. So it's not only about a bird, but it is also imitating one too. My favourite recording of this piece can be found in today's playlist on Spotify. It's a track from a gorgeous album called Birds by Dorothy Meals and Stefan Temming. Beethoven, however, goes one better than Handel and adds another bird into the mix at the end of his sixth symphony, the pastoral. As well as the cuckoo and the nightingale, he also incorporates a quail. The symphony was completed by Beethoven in 1808 and is one of his few works to contain explicit programmatic content. Beethoven used to spend a great deal of time walking in the countryside. As a lover of nature, he often left Vienna and went to work in idyllic rural spots. This symphony has five movements. Along with his indication of tempo markings such as Allegro, Andante Molto Mosso and Allegretto, the composer also included descriptive titles with each movement, which really transports the listener, and indeed the player, to a countryside scene. The first movement is called Awakening of Cheerful Feelings on Arrival in the Countryside. The second movement is entitled Scene by the Brook, and this is where we find our birds. Towards the end of our walk by the brook, we hear a cadenza, a passage of writing with freedom in tempo which is written for woodwind instruments that imitate bird calls. The role of the nightingale is taken by the flute, the quail by the oboe, and the two clarinets play the cuckoo. Beethoven helpfully identified the bird species in the score. It is a beautiful conversation between each of the species, encapsulating the countryside scene even more so. You can hear the nightingale, cuckoo and quail in a recording from one of the orchestras I play with, the brilliant Orchestre Révolutionnaire et Romantique. Listen from around 10 minutes 30 seconds to hear Beethoven capture these glorious birds in conversation. The recording is in today's Spotify playlist. Moving forward into the 20th century, the English composer Frederick Delius was hugely influenced by nature. His works invariably carry illustrative titles and are always somehow connected to nature. The titles are intended more as a guide to the music rather than an indication of a particular storyline, such as the Beethoven pastoral, but they still open our minds to the wonders of nature and its link with music. Delius wrote on hearing the first cuckoo in spring in 1912. It is a tone poem and is the first of two pieces for orchestra which were both first performed in Leipzig in 1913. 
The second in the set is A Summer Night on the River. Although part of the same set, the pieces are now rarely performed together. In the first piece, we can hear the exchange of the cuckoo's calls with strings. Amongst this, we also hear a Norwegian folk song called In Ola Valley. The cuckoo appears once again in the clarinet at the closing of the movement too. The next work to discuss is an absolute favourite of mine. It is by Bohemian Austrian-born composer and violinist Heinrich Ignax Franz Bieber. The reason that this work is so exciting is because Bieber was one of the most important composers for the violin in the history of the instrument. As a player, he had a monumental technique, allowing him to travel all around the instrument up into stratospheric positions, which was rather revolutionary during the 17th century. His complete mastery of the instrument allowed him to push compositional boundaries for the violin further than ever before, and to include all manner of crazy techniques and special effects, including scordatura tuning, which involves tuning the strings of the instrument up or down specific intervals. His Sonata Representativa in A major, also known as the Cock and Quail Sonata, was written in 1669 and imitates a variety of animals. A nightingale, cuckoo, frog, a cock and a quail having an argument, a cat, and finally a musketeer's march before the final finale. There are a few extracts on today's Spotify playlist to entertain you. The nightingale, cuckoo, and a meowing cat too. Along with all these wonderful works imitating nature and birdsong, there are also a plethora of compositions which are just about animals. Let's look at some Renaissance vocal music. The Silver Swan is probably the most famous madrigal by Orlando Gibbons. It is scored for five voices and the words for the song were written by his patron, Sir Christopher Hatton. It tells the legend that swans do sing, but only just before their deaths. The start of the text reads, The Silver Swan, who living had no note, when death approached, unlocked her silent throat. Leaning her breast against the reedy shore, thus sang her first and last, and sang no more. It is a fine example of Renaissance polyphony. The Sixteen and Harry Christophers bring us a beautiful recording of this work.
There are so many pieces that I haven't even mentioned in this episode which relate to birds. You might be thinking, why hasn't she talked about the lark ascending? Or Messiaen's réveil d'oiseau? Not to mention Respighi's The Birds? Or the cuckoo singing in Mahler's Fourth Symphony? But we simply don't have time to cover it all today. I hope, however, I've managed to enlighten you with some unusual choices and a broad selection through the eras of classical music. The last piece I would like to touch on is another about a bird, but this time by Saint-Saëns from his Carnival of the Animals. This work is an extremely humorous suite of 14 movements, which he wrote in 1886 in Austria. It is scored for two pianos, strings, flute and piccolo, clarinet, glass harmonica and xylophone. Each movement represents a different animal through musical effects. We have the royal march of a lion, hens and roosters, wild donkeys, tortoises, an elephant, kangaroos, an aquarium of fish, a cuckoo and an aviary, not to forget the comic movement about two pianists and some fossils too. But it is in the penultimate movement where we hear the swan elegantly gliding over the water. It is written for solo cello accompanied by two pianos. The rolling chords in the piano accompaniment are said to represent the swan's feet paddling away, hidden from view, whilst the cello soars over the top with a glorious melody. Now, unfortunately, I don't play the cello or have two pianists or pianos at my disposal today. But luckily, this piece works beautifully for violin and harp. I shall be joined by my lovely friend and colleague, Valeria Kurbatova, on the harp to bring you the swan from Saint-Saëns, the Carnival of the Animals.
thank you all so much for joining me for another episode of The Classical Corner. I hope you'll tune in next time when we shall continue to explore some more glorious music together. In the meantime, I wish you all a wonderful week. Goodbye.